So come with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 26. I note that's your scripture as well. I saw that up there. You've stolen my scripture. But, um, you know, I want to tell you this, that the future belongs. Who does the future belong to? The future belongs to those that dare to dream and go beyond where they're at right now. I want you to think right now, where are you at? Ask the person next to you, say, where are you at? How big is your dream? The future belongs to those that dare to dream. Say that. The future, come on, say it again. The future belongs to those that dare to dream beyond what is seen. Jesus had this incredible vision in Matthew, and he says this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus says, I've got this vision, and I'm going to build the church. It's going to be all around the world, and hell will not prevail. And what that means is that hell is unable to defend itself against the onslaught of a church that says, I'm going to be the head, not the tail. I'm not going to be some backwash out the back of Tagra. We're going to be the headlight spot on place. He says, I'm going to rise and build. Do you want to come with me or not? But if you decide to rise and build and to get off your tush and say, we're going to build the house of God, he says, hell will not prevail. You might be facing areas in your life. It's like, man, I've got hell in my marriage. I've got hell in my finances. I've got hell in my health. I've got hell in my kids. I've got hell everywhere I go. Things just are not right. He says, hell will not prevail. Who wants to de- just defeat hell in the world? The works of the devil. Who wants to defeat? He says, if you rise and build, if your purpose connects with his purpose, suddenly you connect with his power. And he says, hell is unable to stand the onslaught of those who say, I'm going to rise and build. There's a covering. There's a protection. There's a guarantee of blessing. There's an anointing. There's a, there's, a, there's a touch of God that will come over your life when you say, I'm going to build the church. Leviticus says this, five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. There's a hundred people here this morning at least. He says the DNA of a church of 10,000 is here. He says a hundred will chase 10,000. The DNA of the church of 10,000 exists. You think, oh, I don't think we could ever be a thousand. I don't know if we could ever be 10,000, Pastor Tim. You, you, you're delirious. I'm taking all that big city thinking up here. What are you doing? He says, no. He says, hey, a hundred of you will put 10,000 to flight. He says, and your enemies will fall by the sword, and I will look on you with favor, make you fruitful, increase your numbers, and keep my covenant with you. The covenant with God. The covenant that he's talking about is that in difficult times you will be blessed. That's what the covenant was. He says that what you have will increase in number. He says provision will be over your life. Long life, health, fruitfulness. This covenant, he says, you know, when you give to God, you are entering into a covenant that he has sworn by his own name. And the reality of why we do this is because at the end of next week, there's going to be one million more people on earth that don't know Jesus. One million people a week are being born into our world. Never in the history of the world has the population of earth been so great at around about 6 billion people. There's about 2 billion of those people who have never heard the gospel. So we are in an unprecedented times of seeing the greatest harvest ever seen in the world. All the greats and all the heroes of the Bible would have given their right arm to be alive now to see the biggest harvest. 
Jesus said, the harvest is ripe. There's no shortage of harvest. He says, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. And so right now, we are looking at a harvest. And so we need to be thinking bigger than ever before because the harvest that he is bringing, that you're going to bring into this house, has never been bigger. And so that's exciting. It's just like, you got the box seat, you got the best gig in the last 10,000 years. You are now. the man, well, that makes me pretty special because, like, he thinks you're up for it. You're up for it. He doesn't doubt for a moment that you guys can pull this off because he wouldn't have put you here if he didn't. So we have to be continually enlarged in our thinking and our giving and our dreams to reach people. So Rise and Build is not actually about a building. It's actually about a harvest of people that you're going to bring into the house of God. It's about people belonging. It's about people experiencing the peace and the salvation and the goodness of God in the world. It's about people experiencing the power of God come into their life. It's about having a bigger, a vision that's bigger than us that includes miracles in every part of our life. This church believes in miracles. I know these guys believe in miracles. This movement believes in miracles. You need to believe in miracles and allow miracles to happen every single day and week in your life. Have an expectancy for miracles. But the way we step into a miracle is by taking a step of faith, a step of sacrifice, and a step of commitment. When you do that, you find that you'll step into miracles all through your life. I mean, just hearing Jilly's story, I hear that story, I think that's a miracle. That's not just a good news story, feel good, wow, wasn't she a great girl? That's a flipping miracle. That's a miracle. That one night, that is a miracle. But the journey was a journey of faith, a journey of commitment, a journey of sacrifice. The miracles are there. The Bible talks about the working of miracles. They don't just happen, you've got to work them. And I believe that all of us can work miracles when we say, I'm going to make the house of God the greatest house in all the nation on the coast here at C3 Tugra. And so for some of you, the journey has just begun. You've never been involved in Rise and Build or you're new to the house or you're new to Rise and Build. Can I just say one thing? Don't try and work it out in your head. Just be aligned. Just come under the vision. What is on the vision will get on you. As you come under the vision, it will get on you. And others, you're giving this facilitated already. The incredible growth that you've had. And, and now just lift your hand up if you're, you're in the tent for several years before we built this. Who was one of the tent people? Okay, Put, lift your hand up if you're only sort of new to the church in the last 12 months. And you've pretty much most of your experience of this church is in this building. Sort of just lift your hand. Now, just I want those people to stand up. All those people who are new to this building, just stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. Now, have a look around. Who likes these people? Now, have, you can sit down, guys. See, all of you are in relationship and connection. I'm thinking, praise God. And there's a whole truckload of kids as well down the road that are attached to these people. But praise God that some of you decided to build back. And now we've got these amazing people. And as we begin to build together, suddenly we're going to find the most phenomenal people coming into this church. And so... You've built something that previously didn't exist. But the deal is, we must not stop here. We must not stop. We can't stop. We can't stop here. As we keep looking into the future, we actually create the future. Don't wait for the future to happen to you. You can actually look into the future the way Abraham did, and you can actually create a phenomenal future. The first thing we need to do to get involved in Rise and Build, is to take a step of faith in the Word of God. Nehemiah, this great man, took up the challenge of rebuilding the wall after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it 70 years earlier. 
And the temple was to be amazing. Let me give you a vision of what we're building. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 5, David said, The house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence. Let's say that. Great magnificence. Fame. Splendor. In the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. This is what we're doing. So David made extensive, abundant preparations. That's what it says. He made extensive, abundant preparations before his death. And so he began to arise and build Solomon, his sons. It's the sons of the house that begin to build the house. The fathers have the vision, but all of you are sons of the house because sons have a DNA. They know intimately, they know intuitively what the father wants. They say, I'm going to be a son of the house all through the Bible. It's the sons that build the house. Solomon was the son of David. Jesus was the son of God. Noah built an ark like this place is like an ark saving the earth. But the Bible says it was three sons built the ark and they went into the ark and the three sons came out of the ark. All through the Bible, Joshua was the son of none. And all these great men and women of God were all described. Timothy was the son of, of Paul. And, and, and being a son of the house is somebody who says, I'm going to build and I'm going to take up the vision with Julie and with Phil and we're going to build this place. We're standing alongside you. We're going to give to the vision and see the provision of God. So to arise, let me talk about this. It means to pray and to seek God. It means to stand together. It means to go up higher than we currently are. It means to upgrade your life. In Joshua chapter 3, it says, Joshua arose early in the morning. Everybody say early in the morning. See, the word here, rise, he arose early. It means, he means he acted diligently and persistently. And there's a diligence and there's a persistence about rising to upgrade your life, to actually arise, to be someone who says, I'm going to arise. I'm going to actually act diligently and persistently. It's called arise and build. Diligently and persistently. He didn't know how they were going to cross the River Jordan when he came to it, but he took the step forward by faith and started marching towards the river. Well, Phil, I've heard about your vision. I've seen the plans. I've seen the price tag. I don't know how we're going to do it with a hundred people, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to walk towards the River Jordan. It was two and a half kilometers wide. It was in full flood. And they said, I'm going to start walking towards it. And as they walked towards it, Fathers and sons and families and a whole new generation. The old generation died. Don't be coming here with an old generation and an old attitude and an old thinking, oh, the church I used to go to, we own the whole block, you know, because it was given to you by the government a hundred years ago. But we're in a whole new day. God is wanting to build the church by building you. It's not about the building of buildings. It's about when you build the buildings, you build the character of God inside you. It's the building of buildings that God uses to build the character and the nature of God in you. And that's what it's all about. It's significant. It's huge. And he didn't know what was going to happen, but he marched towards the bank, believing in God's divine sufficiency. To arise is to arise out of ourselves, to rise out of our past, our insecurities, our small thinking. Our lack and our circumstances will think, I know I've got this debt. I know I've got this job. I know I'm in and out of work. I know that things aren't looking good. So I'm going to rise out of all that. And I'm just going to trust God. It's where the rubber hits the road. I'm going to make a commitment. And I'm going to rise out of the general consensus, the general poverty atmosphere, the general lack atmosphere, the general small thinking. If you want to say, oh, the coast is small. It's not like Sydney. Because it's your thinking. You think, well, there's an economy here. Let me tell you, there's an economy of heaven. 
There's an economy of the kingdom of God. It says give and it will be given. And sooner or later when the rubber hits the road, you've got to say, I'm going to build the house of God. And I don't care what happens. I'm going to make God my priority and I'm going to build the house of God. And you watch the miracles that happen in your world, in your family, in your children, in your marriage, in your finances, in your business. It's not just in material things. The greatest miracle that we could ever experience, the greatest miracle all is the salvation of lost people. And if all we ever see is a harvest of souls and this place filled with thousands of people, mission accomplished. But God says that's not all you're going to see. You're going to see a whole lot more besides a harvest of souls. And so we're going to rise out of this lack as we stay and we are, and we are, as long as our reference point becomes, is still earth and our current economic climate and the current situations we look at in our current past and exposure and, and lack and as long as our reference point is still what we can do, we will remain small. As long as our reference point stays on the word of God and what God can do, your world is going to get large. Every time you step out and give, your world gets bigger. Every time you shrink back and say, I can't do that, your world is going to get smaller. And the predominant spirit of the world will stay over our life, not just on our life, but over the future of our children, over the future of our children's children. Some of you aren't even married yet. Some of you haven't even had kids yet. I'm telling you, as you make a commitment to give, you are going to experience a miracle. We have a couple in our church who have been married for like over 10 years and they're the most awesome people and they have not been able to have children. They've been trying for over five years. They just did four, three sessions of IVF. They came back to our church about a year and a half ago and, um, and, uh, and, and it's cost them a whole lot of money. Uh, in the in the current financial meltdown, they lost all their savings, about two hundred thousand dollars. The the, the four or five thousand dollars every time they did the IVF is virtually clean them out. They got in such a dire straits position they could barely, uh, they couldn't stay in the house they were renting, so they moved into a cheaper place. Then things got tougher again, and they uh, had to. Uh, they virtually couldn't pay the following week's rent that was coming up. And then they given up on having a child, and they decided we're going to go one more time. They went. All they could, and then they went on the second mile. They went to the sacrifice. They went to the commitment. They went to like, mate, we're all the way here. And uh, now they're three months pregnant with twins. They caught a vision to go down this road when they sat in their first Rise and Build dinner. They caught it. I thought, man, we need to get involved in this. And they attribute to their commitment of, I think $5,000 they're journeying through fulfilling. Phenomenal. And uh, I tell you, it's amazing the miracles over people's lives. In Genesis chapter 13, God calls Abraham to arise and to extend his vision to a new horizon. He says, lift up your eyes from where you are and look. All the land you see, I will give you. Abraham's inheritance was only limited by what he could see in his vision. He says, whatever you can see, I'll give you. So his inheritance, his future was only limited by what he could see God showing him. See, that which is real is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. And so you've got to know that we are living in an eternal day. We are living in a supernatural realm. Faith calls things in the being that are not as if they were. And so the second thing is that to build, it means to form together. It means to be together. It's not about just one of us or like, you know, the some rich guy throwing in all the money. It's like, oh, yeah, that family's doing all right. They'll save us. And No. 
If you can only give a dollar a day, if you can only give like $50, it doesn't matter. It is not insignificant. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. What's a sacrifice to you is different. We're not comparing. Whenever you compare, you'll never shape up and you assassinate and you, and you spit on the image of God over your life. But all of you can do something and you've got to drop comparing yourself to somebody else or what you can do or just, you know, it's what you can do. And the word build, who wants to arise and build? Build means forming together. And that means everybody. In Nehemiah, when they rebuilt the house, the Bible says that everybody from every tribe, the mums, the dads, the young people, the youth, the young couples, the young adults, the, the grandparents, the, the well-to-dos, the, the people who have, who have just been serving and worked for the public service and never got a chance to make a million dollars working for themselves or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all going to change when you say I'm building the house of God. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who your dad was or who your dad wasn't. It's where you're at right now. It says when all the people gather together. So what we can build, let me just tell you though. It's so important. Every single one of us makes a commitment. You think, well, I'm not sure what I can do. You make the smallest commitment you can have. The best thing to do is to ask God. Say, God, tell me. Speak to me what it is you want me to give. Okay, And if you ask God, he'll give you a figure. What we can build is limited or unlimited based on our ability to form together. You mean other people's giving and being involved is dependent on mine? Yep. Yep. Your giving and success of your giving is based on, yep. God says it's all linked. He says all the joints of the body connected do their part and release fruitfulness. Somebody needs you and you need somebody else. We're in this together. We're a whole cluster of grapes on a vine. Not a whole lot of isolated individuals. In the day of individualism is gone. The day of the hero and the star was gone. It's about us forming together. All of us together in the boat rowing the same vision, same time aligned to these guys. It's not a day of, well, I'm just doing my thing and I like it because it works for me here. It's not going to work for you. You've got to align. Everybody from every tribe, the effective people who arise is that they begin to build. They say, I'm going to rise out of my thinking. I'm going to rise out of the old church I was in. I'm going to rise out of the disaster behind me, that bankruptcy. I'm going to rise out of whatever and I'm going to start building. I'm going to align. I'm going to take a step of faith. The way we build the kingdom of God on earth is we take a step of faith. We have to be men and women of faith. It's the men and women of faith that have actually changed the world. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Now, faith is the substance of what we hope for and certain evidence of what we do not see. You think, how is it, Pastor Tim, that you can be so sure? Because the Bible says that faith is the evidence. Seeing is not believing. Believing always happens before seeing. You have to have faith in the Word of God because the Word of God doesn't change. Everything you see is temporal. But the Word of God does not change. Our reference point must be an anchor on the Word of God. It's faith that creates the Word. God wants us to move towards things that are yet unseen. We have to live in the room of the unseen. It chases the impossible and hangs on to the promises of God. It's the only way to bring an offering. An offering of faith is what pleases God. Faith does not stand in the boat and say, I believe. It launches out into the deep and says, hey, this is where we're going. We're following you, Phil and Julie. Great faith comes from trusting a great God 
who delights in the impossible, Pastor Phil says. Faith is directly linked to the Word of God. This is your evidence. The Bible says it is the substance. In Greek, that means it is the confidence of things unseen. It is not hope. It is the absolute confidence. It's linked to the word where in Romans 10, 17, where faith calls things into being. Faith comes. Faith is awakened by hearing the word of God coming out of your own mouth from a believing heart. I can preach this. I'm the one speaking. I'm the one believing. I'm creating faith. But the greatest faith you could do is begin to start speaking. The word, the word faith calls, that word means to agree. When you start to agree with what the word of God says, coming out of your own mouth from a believing heart, you'll find that there's confidence, this evidence, this substance, this, this, in, this undeniable confidence of the future will come in to your spirit. And the word of God can do that. And so faith calls things into being that are not as if they were. If everything happened without us living faith, we wouldn't need to trust God. But the journey of that forms Christ in us. As you launch into Rise and Build, I'm telling you, Christ will be formed in you the greatest way you've ever discovered in your life. There's something about Christ that we don't quite get yet. And there's a journey of discovery. It's progressive. But I tell you, when you say, I'm going to build the house of God, I'm going to rise, I'm going to build, I'm going to make a commitment, suddenly you'll discover. You'll open the Bible. You'll read it with all new eyes. You'll see it with harvest eyes. Faith exists in a relationship with God. Faith knows emotional, emotional feelings are an unreliable basis for action. Faith does not rely on the natural senses. Faith does not rely on past external experiences. Faith does not rely on the opinion or the mindset of the world. Faith does not depend on your ability. Faith relies on one thing and one thing only, and that is what the Word of God says. That is what faith is, believing the Word of God. And we've read out that word from Leviticus, that I will increase you, and I will make you fruitful, I will, make, I will multiply you, and I, will, and, and I will enact my covenant with you. This is what God has decided since the beginning of time. But we can come against strongholds in our faith. Reason. Reason can chop us out of faith. We go to our head and not the word of God in our heart. When we give in, I find that reason is treason. You know, Paul sorted this out. He said, let not your faith rest in the reason of men, but the power of God. You know, Paul was one of the greatest arguers, one of the greatest commentaries, one of the greatest debaters, one of the most intelligent men. He was educated under, the, under uh, Gamal, whatever his name was. He was a legend. He was like the Alan Jones of the day. Very smart, very quick, highly educated, good at anything. And he, and he stood there and he says, do not let your faith Rest in the wisdom or the reason of men, but the power of God. By him saying that automatically made him an outcast of his generation. Fear can stop you in your faith. There's a negative force that believes the worst. The number one scripture quoted in history, in the Bible, all through the Bible, by every single person, including Jesus Christ, is fear not. Doubt is the entree of fear. The Greek word for that is disaster which comes from the word indecision. Don't be double-minded. Just make a decision. No decision is a decision. Just make a decision. Today, I'm going to be involved. You can always revive that, revise it up. You can revise it down. But just get moving. Just say, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to sign up today. I'm going to fill out the card. And I'm going to start and I'll be on my way. 
I'm not going to put it off. I'm not going to be double-minded about it. It's not that hard. When you go to McDonald's, it's easy. Bang, I'll have the drink. I'll have the Maccas, whatever it is. Just make a decision for something. When you make a decision, when you move, God moves. Think, well, I need God to move first. He moved 2,000 years ago. He says, it's finished. Whatever you ask for in my name, it'll be done. He's moved a lot for you. He says, now, come on. It's time for you to start moving. You need to start moving. You need to start hammering away at building the house. And the fourth stronghold is the one that Tim battled with. was a stronghold of anxiety. Faith deals with all these worries. Hebrews 11, 2, it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. 11, 5 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Indecision is not pleasing to God. Non-involvement is not pleasing to God. Making a commitment to be involved in some way, even in the smallest way. A little boy in the Bible brings his lunch. How old was he? Probably five. He brings his lunch, a couple of sardines and a slice of bread. He brings his lunch, for goodness sake. Jesus said, I can feed 5,000. A woman, a prophet, the prophet comes to this woman. And she says, what have you got left? She says, all I've got is enough to make a scone for me and my sons, and then we're going to die. And he says, give it to me. (laughs) The height of him. Give it to the man with the word. And she gave it. The Bible says that the oil kept on flowing and flowing and flowing. He said, go and get as many jars. And as the oil stopped flowing, only because they stopped bringing vessels. There's a provision over your world. The first thing that David, the king, the great man himself, describes about God in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then he goes on to talk about he's my comforter. He's my guide. He, he refreshes me. He picks me up. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. And, and, he, and, he, and he defeats the devil. And all this incredible picture of the nature and the image of God. And, and everyone knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. They sing it at every different church. But what's the number one thing? What's the first thing that David says about God? He provides for The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Still not convinced. What's the first miracle that Jesus chooses to show off? The first miracle recorded in the Bible. The wedding feast to Cana. What does he do? Does he heal the sick? No. Does he raise the dead? No. Does he get somebody saved? No. Does he cast out a devil? No. Does he teach a great sermon? No. The Bible says that he turned the water in the wine a miracle of provision. Come on, church. There's something about provision. There's something about the nature, the way he's wired. There's something about what would God do here today. Let me tell you, the first thing David talks about God is that he's providing. The first thing Jesus, the son of David, the new, the new man on the block, does, he says, I want to show. What can I show? The first meeting, the first time he's ever turned up, ever recorded about Jesus. And what's the stunt he does? A miracle of provision in your world. I don't know about you, but there's something here about God. That we're not convinced as much as much as the word is, and these people of the Bible are. Are you with me? Come on. The man of faith, Abraham is the father of faith. Why is he the father of faith? Because of a miracle of provision where he was prepared to give his son, and God provided a provision for an alternative sacrifice. Miracle of provision. Come on, guys. There's something about the miracle of provision. 
Don't think it's more holy and pious for somebody who's blind to get sight. It's, it's not either or. It's both. But there's something God is trying to tell the church. He says, you are not going to be a backwash. You're not going to have lack. I'm removing lack off the doorposts. And there's going to be provision. You'll have salvation along with provision. You'll have blessing. You'll have maturity. You'll have sons that are mature beyond their years. You'll have families that stay together. You'll have marriages that'll be a testimony of the power of God. You'll have people coming in broken that'll get whole. But the provision is not just for a few. It's for those who get what God is saying. It's a religious spirit. It's a religious, filthy religious demon. We'll try and get you to think it is more holy and more pious to not have enough. Oh, that's enough, God. I've got more than enough. Enough for who? Enough for me. Well, that's the most selfish Christianity you could ever live for. That's heresy. It's not about you. It never was about you. It's about God using you to build his house. And along the way, you'll have the most dynamic, abundant, faith-filled life you've ever experienced. Man has to believe. It's our nature to believe. Do you know the greatest robbery of the century is the robbery of faith? The greatest robbery of the century is the robbery of faith. When you fall away from faith, you fall away from God. Because faith is what moves God. Faith is what opens heaven. Faith in the word of God calls things into being. Hebrews 11 defines the heroes with absolute clarity. The heroes of the Bible... It was not joy, it was not love, it was not brokenness, it was not fasting they were commended for. It was faith. Faith. Faith creates something out of nothing. It sees the future and begins working and forming it. Through the prayer of faith, we are able to pull the realities heaven to earth. Faith had its anchor in the unseen. The invisible realm is superior to the natural realm. The reality of the invisible world dominates the reality of the natural world. You've got to get this. Unbelief is anchored in what is visible or reasonable or doable apart from God. It honors the natural instead of the invisible. Unbelief honors the natural instead of the invisible. Accountants are great because they just tell you what is limited. <laughs> An offering, a seed in your hand is limited when it's in your hand. But the Bible says when that seed is given to God, it becomes unlimited. Whilst it stays in your hand, it is limited. Do you know when they opened up the great tombs in Egypt, they found in these tombs, I think it was Tutankhamun actually, and they found in his coffin all these seeds of all the different types of trees. 3,000 years these seeds have been there. And what have those seeds done? Absolutely zip. And they took the seeds out and they planted all these seeds all through a paddock. And today you can go and see the most fruitful, blossoming orchard of trees bearing fruit. A miracle that a seed could lay dormant with the DNA of fruitfulness in it. But what is in your pocket? Well, Pastor Tim, you don't know my situation. What you have in you is the DNA of a seed of a church of 10,000. And that seed, when sown in the right soil, there's never a problem with the seed. The Bible talks about the seed that's fallen. So seed goes into the good ground. The, the seed goes on the gravel. The seed goes into the hard ground. And the birds come and all this. Never was there a problem with the seed. Hey? The story's not about the seed. It's about the ground the seed goes in. And the greatest ground you could put it in is the ground that Jesus' blood has been sown into. 
The passion of Christ is His church, the bride of Christ. And when your seed goes into building the house of God, let me tell you, that ground has been fertilized by blood and bone. And you're going to see fruitfulness in your world. You cannot not bear fruit. You can see it. God says, test me in this. Don't muck around with me here. I'm telling you, I know. Everything starts with a step of faith. It's one thing you can't take out of faith, and that's that step. It's a step of faith that you have to take for God. But why is it so hard to take the first step? Because the devil knows if he can get one building up, you can get five buildings up. The devil knows if you can get 150 people saved, they could get 1,000 saved. The devil knows that if you can get your mum saved, we can get your whole family saved. The devil knows that if he can get you healed, you can get somebody else healed. Why is there a struggle for the first? When Jesus was born, Herod, who was the king of the world, was threatened in his position and he ordered the death of every child under two to strike out the seed because the seed that is in you, the seed that you have when you give to God is an incorruptible seed. Is it a seed that the devil was talking about, that Jesus was talking about? He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, that means that hell cannot stand the onslaught of a church when they rise and build because the seed they're sowing is an incorruptible seed. This is what defeats the devil. Are you with me? Why is it so hard? Why do I struggle with giving? I want to get prayer. I get prayer. I'm sick. Pastor, pray for me. I'm broke. Break my leg. Someone cooks a meal for me. Isn't church nice? Isn't it wonderful? I was broken. I was abused. And they loved me. They put me through a course. They picked me up to church. All these wonderful things that Christians do. But when it comes to money, there's like this Buddha demon, bigger than anything else. It's like, oh, no, no, the money thing. No, no, no. I'm messing with your head because God messed with mine. Do you understand why there's a fight for the seed? Because the seed was never designed just to be a seed. The seed was only ever destined for a harvest. You think, well, I've sown here, I've sown there. You sow. When the man who's appointed declares the vision and the word of the Lord is declared and the house of God being built and you say we're going to sow into the house of God let me tell you you are going to step into a harvest the reason I asked Tim to speak here today for a few moments is because just in a short five years ago eight years ago he began sowing and and really pretty much not a lot was happening in fact a lot was not going for his life now the result of that is phenomenal it is undeniable what God can do the seed is destined for a harvest. He doesn't want you to believe God's word and step out because he knows it's unstoppable. Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power. You've got to do something impossible for you, but possible for God. Are you with me? Peter stepped out of the boat. Noah built an ark. Solomon built the temple. Joseph dared to dream a dream. What are you going to do? What are you going to give to rise and build this year? What has God asked you to give? Second step, because I'm going to finish up soon. I've got a clock here. I'm not sure what it means. Though. Nobody told me what time I went to spin it. What time did I finish? Oh, really? Oh, I've got plenty of time. Now, I'm going to finish in five. Then I want the keyboard, that lovely lady to come and play. She's so clever. 
The second step we need to take. So everybody say, step of faith. Step of sacrifice. Sacrifice is to give up something you love for something you love even more. Sacrifice, oh, I've got this old surf, but I'll just flog that and give them that. That'll do. <laughs> do you love it? No, not really. It's not a sacrifice. I ain't going to work. Give it to your mate down the road. Sacrifice is to give something you love for something you love any, even, even more. Let me read this scripture. Sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonians out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty for some of them, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the giving. They were pleading. Can you please let us give? That's what I call sacrifice. In 2 Samuel 24, verses 24, Samuel says to the king, he says, But the king replied to Aranah, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He wanted to make an offering to God. He found out where the ark was and he went in there and he says, Man, I need to, I need to repent. I just need to make a sacrifice. I just need to come and get on the altar. And the guy says, yeah, sure, we'll just sweep the floor. He says, no, no, I've got to pay. He says, no, you don't have to pay me. It's just in the stables. We'll just sweep the floor. And you can... He says, I refuse to come to God, to worship him, to sacrifice to him without bringing an offering of sacrifice. And this guy's like, man, you don't need to give this. It's like, could we just come? He says, no, no, it doesn't work unless it costs me something. He says, I refuse. I refuse. do this if it doesn't cost me anything love always sacrifices 2 Corinthians 8 says this is one way to prove that your love is real it goes beyond mere words you know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus was though he was rich yet he helped helped you he became so very poor so that by being poor he could make you rich sacrifice love always involves sacrifice number three commitment our best will always cost something. It's never the resources that will stop us. It's our commitment. It's your commitment. Commitment is the most beautiful thing in the world. It is phenomenal. And if you learn commitment to give to God, that is a foundation for a great marriage, a great family, a great business, a great career. Nothing of any greatness was ever achieved without commitment. We could build a church. Sure, we could do something. Might be a bit shabby. We'll get it done. No. Nothing of any greatness, good as the enemy of great, is ever done without commitment. And I know there's commitment here. There's a lot of commitment in this house. But I believe we're going to go up a level. Great purposes require great commitment. There's always a future when you embrace commitment. I know that when I make a commitment, it means the odds are for me, not against me. When you say, I'm going to make a commitment, it's like, well, I've done it now. I've stepped over the line. I've filled in the form. I've put it in. I'm telling you, the odds are for you when you make a commitment. When you make a commitment, all the planets align to conspire to see what you need to happen happen. I'm telling you. I don't know how it happens. 
Psalm 34 tells us, it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. You know what commitment means? It means we get up again when we're knocked down. It means we can finish. Commitment will always make your life better. It may not make your life easier. Did you hear that? It will make your life better. It may not make your life easier. I know Jeremy here, one of our great guys, is training for the Olympics in the Australian bobsled team. And he bench pressed 250 kilos yesterday, which is ridiculous. And he has got some guns on him, so don't mess with him. But what he's doing is all about commitment. Because every day he gets up and he trains in the morning, trains in the night, got his Olympic gear. He's going to go over to the Winter Olympics and push a bobsled at a ridiculous two, three hundred kilometers down a hill that you and I wouldn't go down for a million dollars because he's got commitment. Why does he go to the gym and bench press 250 kilos? Because of commitment. All through the year until next year. Commitment. His life is not easier because of it, but it's a lot better. Are you with me? Commitment shows what we value. It shows what we love. And what we think is important. See, what we commit to is really what we value and what we love. What, how much do we love the house of God? How much does Jesus love the house? Well, he died for it. As we commit to give to God through Rise and Build, the faith and the character that it produces is what's eternal. See, faith has its anchor in the unseen. Commitment means that God is for me. See, I believe that without commitment, we become superficial, loose, directionless, without vision. With commitment, we actually create certainty, freedom, emotional safety, and opportunities. So many people with such uncertainty in their world. So many people with no freedom in their world. But the pathway is so different to what the world promises. When you make a commitment, there's a stability and a freedom and a certainty that comes into your world because you're committed to the house of God. The purpose and the plans of God are only ever achieved by those who are committed. When your commitment connects with the purpose of God, a miracle takes place. Have a look at this just as we close. Abraham was committed to believing for one child, God's plan was to make him the father of all nations. Noah was committed to build an ark and save his family. God's plan was for him to save the whole world. Job committed to worship God every day in the midst of the most severe circumstances. God's plan was to bless him with twice as much as he already had and he already was the wealthiest man of the East. David committed to rescue a lamb from a lion's mouth, but God's plan was to rescue the whole entire nation of Israel from a giant called Goliath. David also committed to write psalm after psalm for God, but God's plan was for David to write songs for all the world to sing throughout all the ages, the book of Psalms. Paul's commitment throughout his life was to write letters to young ministers and young churches, but God's plan was to write the whole of scripture that would last for eternity, including the 13 books out of 27 or 26 books of the New Testament. I'm just going to write a letter to this young guy. I'm just going to write a letter. End up being 13 books of the New Testament. See, he was committed to the one discovering that he was committed 
what you're committing to is going to reach a nation. What you're committed to is going to reach a harvest of people. God has a plan far bigger than us committing to build a significant and influential church to give glory to God on the coast. You think, I'm not sure if I can do that, Pastor Tim. I'm not sure if I'm built for that commitment. I'm not sure if I'm up for it. God thinks you're up for it. Some of you think, well, I sort of need a bit more strength. Have a look at this scripture in 2 Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. The secret of strength is that God is the one with it. And God brings strength to those that are committed to Him. I don't know how Phil and Julie do this. Where do they get the energy? They're just freaks. No. God is the one with it. And you think, whoa, we're so tired. It's like, whoa. God is looking proactively, scanning the horizon to bring strength to those that are fully committed to Him. How cool is that? Strength. Say strength is coming into my spirit, into my soul, into my body, into my church, into my marriage, into my family, into my finances. It's a step of faith, a step of sacrifice, a step of commitment. I'm telling you, the odds are stacked in your favor when you make a commitment here today. You know, we're going to prepare to fill those commitment cards out on every single one of your seats. There should be a commitment card. Just grab that right now. Have a look at that. If you do not have a commitment card, lift your hand. Keep your hand up high. Our ushers will give you one of those commitment cards. If we could have some more of those commitment cards. Uh, A lot of people don't have them. Ushers, if you could just attend to those commitment cards now, that would be great. Just keep your hands up. Please be patient with us. Yeah, if we get some more commitment cards from the foyer, that'd be great. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, can we, we, we had a leaders meeting, Tim, on Wednesday night and a core group meeting, and we actually commended the people that fulfilled the 0809 pledge. Um, we, now, listen to me on this, because some of you people did this, and we commend you and salute you, and it was on this, um, it was on this that you fulfilled your pledge your last pledge that Tim actually conducted and hosted last year for us, you completed a figure of, I think it's about 95,000 wow. towards the, hang on, towards the 120,000 uh, we, we've taken in 95,000. Now, wow. that's fantastic. Come on, guys. Come on. That is Be phenomenal. commended on that because without that, we would not be here. Wouldn't be here. We've actually got a church that want to buy this building. And they're from another denomination. They Hell need a building. And they've approached me twice. And they've said, how are you doing? I said, we're going great. I said, well, when, you, when, you, when, you look, when the chips are down and might need to go back into a tent or school hall, let us know. No, I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, we need a building. And that, that building of yours would suit us just fantastically. We, we got plans for your land. Well, what are they talking about? And he's just jesting with me. But we need to succeed in uh, seeing this church do all that it can. And we need to finish it. We need to grow again. We need to see the sons do what they're going to do. Uh, but it's all about... Nick, 
can you put the PowerPoint up, Tim? I've got, I've got this strategy that I need to go through. This is our strategy to raise a figure of 150,000 because we've grown. We are actually just over 300 people. Thank you, youth. That that you know about 120 youth, and so but awesome. Tonight we got a whole different church. Seemingly we got two churches. We got a morning church and a night church. We've never had that. We always had a, a bunch of diehards that met morning and night. Now we've got people that come morning and come at night, but we got a whole church that come at night. You know that. And there's visitors coming here getting revived, blessed, saved, set free tonight. So we're going to do this again, not entirely like this, but we're going to do a much... uh, And so these are the army believers. This is the majority of people in C3 Tugra, Tim, who continue to give any amount as they are able to fulfill the dream. This is everyone. This is widows, single people. This is young people. I've even had young people as, as young as 10 or 11 give to the Rise and Build. Because they hear the heart of it. They say, Pastor awesome. Phil. Yeah. And I've had parents come to me, sanctioned by parents, saying, my boy wants to give to the Rise and Build. And they quote the figure. And I said, that is fantastic. Well, where does he get that? That's his pocket money. Wow, that's amazing. Next. These are the kingdom builders in the life of the church. The kingdom builders pledge above 3000 annually to the building project. So this is about $60 a week. We've got a bunch of these people that have brought us this far. These are the kingdom builders, we call them. And we're going to have events this year, meetings this year, to inspire those ones who do this. They are uh, anyone who has made a faith pledge to give over $3,000 through regular giving. Yes, next. The next guys are the vision carriers. These people believe one of their main roles in the church is to help underwrite its vision by pledging to give over $5,000 each year to the building project. Praise God we got a bunch of those people that give $5,000 and have fulfilled this year $5,000 pledges. They're vision carriers. They believe in the vision. They know what we do. They're so committed to it, they give. Next, these guys are the 10K club. These people are believing now, in a bigger church, this would be the 100K club. These would be guys like Tim, who just spoke here this morning. But we've made it the 10K club. We need to believe, Tim, we need to believe for the 100K club one day. But I'm not going to demoralize. Well, the 100K club starts with somebody who just gives something. Sure. Starts with the 1K, starts with the 500, starts with the 3,000. Sure. This is what can happen when you start giving. These people are believing for special grace. This is like Tim. Let's, let's say it is the 100K club. He is believing for special grace and favor to provide over, say, 100,000. In our case, it's 10,000 each year to the building project. Kingdom builders, vision carries, and the 10K club, uh, yeah, mid-quarterly. And we'll have breakfasts or evenings, I think. We're going to have evenings where we just uh, get in. We might even bring you up, Tim, if you could speak to our 10K club and even our business group. I'd love you to do that. That's our strategy. We're going for 150,000. We're asking everyone to do their best to believe in us. Have you got the, has everyone put up your hand if you got the pledge uh, cards? Uh, you got those? You're ready to rock? You filled Anybody them in? Anybody not got a card? You filled them in. And uh, can I just stress, like, in years gone by, I haven't been so direct and strong about this, but as the years tick on and I see the lives. I see it. I see ordinary. In fact, I see below ordinary. Like I see people whose lives are basket cases turned into extraordinary lives. If you do the ordinary, God will do the extraordinary. You have to do what you can do. 
Don't do something stupid. If you earn 50,000 a year, don't say, I'm going to give 40,000. That's dumb. Don't get a card if you can't pay it off in a month. That's not you giving. That's Visa and MasterCard giving. But there's something that you can do. God meets you where you're at, just like your salvation. You're all messed up, dirty and stained and whatever. And you just came. Don't tart yourself up to come to God. Just come as you are. Just use it. I I know what I can. Maybe I've got something I can sell. Some stuff. I can have a garage sale. Yeah, there's one-off gifts, definitely. One-off gifts. Maybe there's a journey. Say, well, I'm just going to start once a month and give this. And halfway through, you think, we have people ring us and say, man, I... I committed, one guy committed three grand and ended up giving 15 grand because he realized what he could do. But you just got to start. Just anything, anything together. The Bible says that unity commands a blessing. Yes, that's right. The Bible says just before Jesus died, let me just say this one thing. This is why I'm so strong on this. Because I know you're going to step into a miracle. And I don't want to make sure that when we do this next year, all these seats are filled. You're here and all your family and friends and colleagues are here, right? Just before Jesus died, he's sweating blood. He's about to die. We know what he did just before in his first miracle, miracle provision. What would you say in your last breaths before you died? He says, I pray that the world, that you would be one to his disciples. I pray that you would be one, one people together so that the world may see me. Why does the world not see Jesus? Because the church needs to be building together. Everybody needs to be giving. Everybody needs to be praying. Everybody needs to be doing something. If we are all together, the Bible says the world will see me and glorify my Father in heaven. This is about a harvest of souls and people seeing Jesus. If we are one and all together, we make a pledge. Not as individuals. Not half of us do. Half of us don't. I can only give a dollar. Great. But we're all one together. Are you with me?